my brother gave me this magazine in like 1991 or 92. For me, it was the first time that color just exploded because I am colorblind, but with graffiti or street art, it was so rich and vivid and it was taking all these objects and, and allowing them to have movement and flow across the wall. In fifth grade, I was just instantly like, dude, this is the art I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Cameron Moberg, who is a street artist. Cameron does both graffiti-style art and these big, amazing murals. He is a San Francisco native, so luckily for me, I live in San Francisco, so I get to see these big, beautiful pieces that he paints throughout the city. He was a contestant on Street Art Throwdown on Oxygen Network, and he actually went on to win the entire thing because that is how much Cameron kicks ass and how good his art is. And above all else, Cameron, as you'll hear on the show, is just a super nice, super cool, super good dude. So without further ado here is street artist cameron thanks so much for coming on the show man yeah thanks for having me man absolutely Excited. so first question off the bat we just got to know like what is it like actually being banksy and like not having people know who you are is that like a super weird thing <laughs> oh man i'm i'm not one of those artists that hide my face uh, but so it's okay but yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's kind of a compliment. <laughs> Equating me to Banksy, yeah. dude. You, I, you're. Well, yeah. We'll get into your art, obviously, a little bit later. Yeah. Your art, certainly at that level. Uh, so, speaking on people like Banksy and stuff like that, how yeah. much has street art changed in the past five years in terms of its acceptance, mm -hmm. recognition, and kind of where that places you as an artist? Yeah. Well, you know, it's really changed tremendously, and for a lot of reasons, like. One is you're, you're, you're using the proper term, street art. So street art has become very popular. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later, the difference between graffiti and street art. But, um, you know, street art is more for the masses and, and stuff like that, while graffiti is, is kind of a language to graffiti writers. So once street art became more popular, it just blew up. And the reason it became more popular is because I think personally, because of the tools got way easier to use. So like spray, spray paint technology has completely transformed in the last 10 years. Like the stuff I was using as a kid, it was like a high pressure can. It was, um, really thin and watery. So, and, and the, the tip on top, the pressure was so high, it was like an on off button. So it was kind of archaic for people di who didn't love graffiti art. For the graffiti writer, it was like, even though this can is hard to use, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to make it happen. Right. And so you had a lot of dedication to what we call, as graffiti, graffiti writers, we call it can control. Um, and so the graffiti writer would really work hard as, you know, at perfecting that skill. Fast forward into, you know, early 2000s, America finally started getting paint from like Spain and Germany and stuff like that. And it was just so much easier to use. Like the, the, the nozzle is like pressure sensitive. 
so you could control the flow of paint, um, stuff like that. So now you're getting people like, you know, traditional artists or students from art school who were like, wow, I can actually use this. And so you had a lot more people starting to use spray paint. Um, so once that started happening, then other rules were being allowed to be broken, like, you know, say the use of stencils or painting or using tape. Um, well, while that stuff has always kind of been used in the world of graffiti, those things are kind of against the rules. But when you have people coming outside of the world graffiti uh, into this scene and using spray paint, there's really no more rules that were going alongside with graffiti. So all of those things coupled together just made street art just blow up, you know? Um, That's so least, interesting. I, yeah. I did not know any of that. I figured it was, it just was like due to people like Banksy and stuff like that. Has there been like more of an appreciation in Europe, like prior to it becoming big in the U S you said that all these cans and stuff were coming from Europe. What was yeah. street art a thing in Europe before here? Definitely. Definitely. Like, I mean, graffiti started like in the in the '60s, and and in the like '70s, it was already going to other places, you know, especially in the late '70s. But Europe, um, they've been doing graffiti forever; like they've had a great scene. But you're you're exactly right. There was more of an appreciation for art in general, and it wasn't this word vandalism coupled with the word graffiti over there, like like it is here in America, like those two things are hand in hand, right? Yeah. Um, which is kind of unfortunate. And so over there you had guys um, like like Dime, a uh, very famous graffiti writer. He does large scale 3D type of stuff. He was meeting with companies like saying, you need to lower the pressure of the can, change the valve system, change the pigment, um, even make the dome that's on top of a spray can shorter so that you can get closer to the wall, uh, all of those things. And it completely revolutionized the game. So their street art like jumped light years ahead of ours. And then once we got that paint, now you know we're finally able to be competitive again and kind of step up our game. Man, that's so interesting. So basically prior to that, it was like if you were doing graffiti – it's like you just had one single size of brush to paint with, and yeah, now yeah. people have multiple brushes to paint with. Yeah, yeah. And But the, the amazing thing about that is graffiti writers were doing that regardless. And that's like, as much as I love where street art is right now, it's almost like the Banana Republic. Like, it is the country that has been stolen from and taken and commercialized and you know there's money being made and you know i'm i'm a part of that as well but i still look at the graffiti writer as the underdog that should be respected and when all these other new people are starting to use spray paint i'm like man you you have to learn the history of where this comes comes from because when this was a crappy tool there was still graffiti writers making some of the dopest art possible with that tool you know so I'm all about the writers, man. I love I love those guys. That's cool, man. And you probably have yeah. such a different view of the writers and the history. Unfortunately, to your point, with the way it gets tied in with vandalism and this and that, it's kind of a bummer for for the people that like you that really value the art and see this art that, that yeah. this all kind of gets lumped together in one thing. Yeah, well, and that's why there's such a need for like 
public space uh, for like those, you know, those kids or those people tagging. Cause you know, I, I totally get that. Like, you know, I'm a part of a community and I want to see my community beautiful and stuff like that. But when it comes to like graffiti as an art form, the tagging that we see um, is so important to learning how to do the large scale murals. So it's almost like cartooning, right? Like if you, if you think of cartooning, there's a structure behind it. Like a cartoonist learns shapes, right? They're learning the squares and the circles and mm. the forms, and then they're developing that form to create an art piece. That's the same thing with uh, what we would call a tag. Like every line in a tag will later become the shape or what we call a bar to the larger graffiti piece, like the larger letter form. And then even if you look at like a, um, a really good graffiti writer's uh, signature under their piece, it will have a similar flow to their actual letter form. So, um, and on top of it, that they're learning can control. Like there's something in graffiti called a flare, like going really fat to really skinny in one motion. And that consists of uh, releasing pressure, getting closer to the wall and flicking your wrist all at the same time. Now learning that in tagging is later gonna help you in doing your large pieces. So I totally see both sides of it, you know? But if there's no space for like people to, do that and learn then how like how are they ever going to get to that larger piece and and of letter form of graffiti you know yeah right good point yeah. i guess it's not something you just do inside your house you know yeah you gotta yeah, have someone to do it that would be hard it gets hard to breathe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure man yeah so due to the popularity rise and everything has has the kind of legality of a lot of this changed since you started doing it you know it, it always ebbs and flows so it was um, a federal offense for a while. So they were locking up graffiti writers with like major drug dealers and murderers. Like it didn't make any sense, you know? And recently they realized this is just costing us more money and not helping us. So they turned it back to a civil offense um, where, yeah, they'll basically they know they can make money off it now if they're just focused on finding people rather than spending all this money to arrest people and lock them up, you know? Right. So, so that's what they're doing now. And usually what they do, they target a graffiti writer and they're like, this one, this is the guy doing the most damage. So we're going to go after this person um, and make an example of, of them. And if they catch that person, then the fines are like over the top because they want to, scare the other graffiti writers you know what do you notice a um like kind of a bias or a prejudice depending on how like quote unquote beautiful someone's artwork is definitely i definitely see that um for example if if i okay over by my house there are beautiful street poles that have been illegally painted and they're absolutely gorgeous. Everybody loves them in our neighborhood. Um, now, according to certain written documents and things like that, uh, it's said that graffiti is, the difference between graffiti and vandalism is legal versus illegal, which that's kind of a, not a very good definition, right? Yeah. Um, 
And the same people that have that def definition. Now, if I owned a house and I wanted my roll-up door with all hand styles, which is essentially tags, because someone who's rooted in graffiti, I find certain hand styles really beautiful and interesting because I understand the technique of different hand styles, right? Mm -hmm. So say I wanted my roll-up door just full of tags and hand style. I could actually get fined $500 until I clean that off. Um, so here you have something where in one case, even if I got permission, somebody decides that they don't like that and they could find me $500 on my own house or business. But here you also have illegally painted, beautifully painted street poles that remain untouched and they've, they've, you know, they like them. So they're leaving them and they've been there for like five, six years. Interesting because that, yeah. that graffiti on your garage would is beautiful to you, but is not yeah. like classically beautiful as it were. So yeah, that, yeah. they ain't going to be having that. Yeah. And, and, and I'm very neutral, you know, I, I see both sides and, you know, stuff like that. I just like to play devil's advocate sometimes and bring, bring things up for questioning, you know? So yeah, for it's, sure. It's just good to talk about it. Yeah. It's like yeah. the city acts as like a homeowner's association, you know, yeah. like for the entire city of yeah. like what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. And, and I get it. They have to draw the line somewhere and, you know, and I, I can't imagine doing their job. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Yeah. So do you still do, um, more like unsanctioned pieces, like stuff that you have to do at nighttime and stuff? No, no, I don't personally. Uh, I, I stopped quite some time ago. Um, and most of that was, you know, I got married really young. I got married at 20 years old and, and, I was just like, man, I don't want to be in jail with my new wife at home or I don't want to get some crazy fine and then ruin our finances for our marriage. So a lot of it comes down to that, you know, but also, you know, I just I just knew a lot of business owners and was like, man, like these guys are taking all their savings and like putting them into their business. So it was more a personal thing for me. I was just kind of sh shied away from that stuff. But yeah, I had I, I put in my work and in the graffiti world, a lot of people will say, oh, you're no longer a graffiti writer. You don't do illegal work. And that's OK. I mean, how many years did I have to do it to be considered one? You know, so I, I don't know. There's so many unwritten rules in, in the graffiti world, man. It gets confusing. Yeah, it's very silly. And then it's funny because <laughs> like it, it, the older that you get, the less you care about any of yeah, that. Yeah, so it's I'm like, all right, like, whatever. Call me what you want. I paint and I use spray paint and I like letters and I like beautiful you know nature and stuff like that so yeah it is what it is yeah so cameron tell us about your background like when did you start painting when did you yeah. start making street art and using cans yeah yeah so man i i just grew up drawing and honestly like i was never a naturally good artist um you know, and I, I go talk to a, a lot of different schools and kids and stuff, and I always share old pictures of my old art so that they can see that it's taken over 20 years to get where I'm at, you know, um, and, and just encourage them to work hard, you know. But, you know, so I, I was just like addicted to drawing mostly because I wasn't good at it. And it felt like this like video game that I could never accomplish, you know, and you know, when you play that video game and you just can't pass this one boss and you just become <laughs> so addicted to it. That's how it was for me, you know? And so I just practiced and practiced, man. I was drawing everything like 
in my room. I remember being a little kid, I'd have like a teddy bear or a model car and I would turn it in different directions and just try to draw it. Um, or sit in front of my, you know, 85 year old grandma and try to draw like all the wrinkles in her forehead and stuff, you know? Uh, but then in fifth grade, my brother gave me a graffiti magazine and I had seen graffiti before I grew up in, you know, into the things of hip hop. Like I, I, I knew about breakdancing. I liked it. I liked the music and DJing and stuff. Um, but with graffiti, my scope was very limited until my brother gave me this magazine in like 1991 or 92, where it was just insane, you know? And, and for me, it was the first time that color just exploded um, because I am colorblind or color deficient. And so certain colors I can't see or it muddies things, but with graffiti or street art, it was like so rich and vivid and it was taking all these objects and, and allowing them to have movement and flow across the wall. And so in fifth grade, I was just instantly like, dude, this is the art I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I just started drawing everybody's names. Like, what's your name? I'm going to draw it. You know, what's your name? I'm going to draw it. <laughs> That's you know? cool, man. And that kind of went through all the way through middle school. And then in ninth grade, that's when I kind of started tagging around San Francisco, just running around the streets, kind of getting in, into trouble. And, you know, I really wanted like a mentor at that time, somebody that knew how to use a can because I didn't know anybody. But it was this weird middle stage in graffiti where the guys before me were all really well recognized and there was nobody after them that was like really, really good around my age that could kind of like, um, that I could learn from, you know? So I was just trying to figure it out and did that through high school and just, yeah, just was tagging around the city, man. Dude, and then the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's so cool. And that's so great. How you, how it went now when you're doing your outreach and stuff that you try to show kids your old, drawings because i think as a kid so much of the time you know people are are slightly more talented at certain things you know like some kid in your yeah. class is is like pretty good at basketball and then some kid in your class is pretty good at art and whatever it is yeah and so like i remember growing up just thinking like oh well i'm never going to be as good as that kid like because yeah. because that's the kid that's good at art like that's the kid that's good at basketball and the idea of just practice and repetition and i think yep. really particularly with something like art doesn't yeah. occur to people as something that um that gets you good at it it's like you know the nature of art makes people think like oh you're good at art because you're good at art you know like mm -hmm. if it was all rigid and about a bunch of practice then it wouldn't be art anymore but just because you have to practice a bunch doesn't mean it's not art yeah yeah it's it's totally not the case yeah repetition is so key and that's that's with anything and unfortunately kids now all they see are highlight reels on on youtube or instagram it's like I've edited this down to the best of everything I've done. So they assume that everybody's automatically good at something, right? And it's just not the case. I mean, it's take after take, repetition after repetition, and it's it's hard work, you know? Yeah. Um, and 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 that's what makes it fun, you know. Like if 
if we were automatically good at something that really gets boring quick, you know, like we like challenges as human beings. So let's challenge ourselves and let's try the next thing and let's try to get better. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's the case. I mean, you think of like writing your name as a kid, everything was on a line, right. And you would trace that C over and over in kindergarten and first grade. Right. And that's the same thing with art. It's like, you're going to draw this until you get it, until you figure it out, no matter how many years it takes, you know? Yeah, totally, man. So you said the rest is history. Let's talk about like a really important part, I would imagine, in that history, which was um, you got selected to be on a show on Oxygen called Street Art Throwdown and then ended up going on to freaking win the show, which is like so (laughs) insane. So talk to us about even being selected and how that whole process went and like what it was like being on the show and then what kind of happened after you won the show and and like the remainder of that year for you. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It was kind of perfect timing. Like I I had wanted to go into full-time art for quite some time and I was honestly like really scared to do it you know so around that time I was talking to my wife about it I got an email from uh, my friend Tyra uh, who used to work with the San Francisco Arts Commission and she she was just like here's this thing don't really know what it is but you should apply and she's always been super supportive in that way Um, and the flyer was really generic I didn't really know what it was Um, and I was like, all right, I'm just going to submit. And I put in an application or just an email and instantly got an email back, like within five minutes. And they were like, send us this, send us this, send us this. And, and yeah, so I did that and then got another email and they were like, we would really like for you to submit a video of yourself with these talking points. And at that point, I was like, man, I don't got time for this. This isn't like good stewardship of my time. Like, I got to work. I got to provide for my family and stuff like that. So I kind of just let it go. And then a week later, they hit me up and they were like, look, okay, don't worry about the video. We really like you. Let's just do a Skype interview and we'll record the conversation. I was like, all right, cool. So that's what we did. And then I got selected to go try out. And tryouts were like the most bizarre thing ever. Uh, you know, you're not allowed to talk to anybody. Like they, the first thing that happens is like we just go to our hotel room and we're locked in our rooms and we can't leave. And they take our cell phones, our computers, you know, everything. And I'm like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> and then they pick us up and then they bring us to a cold warehouse and like sit us in the corner and we can't talk to each other for like an hour and then they're like all right we're gonna do your first test right now you're gonna go run half a mile and we're like okay we go run half a mile right when we get back they're like okay do as many pull-ups as you can right now in under a minute and we do the pull-ups my arms are shaking (laughs) And they're it's like, like, it's like the wrong show producer <laughs> showed up. Like it was like some other TV show and they like, didn't realize they had the artists. Oh dude, I didn't know what was going on. And then right after the pull-ups, they're like, okay, go sit down. You're going to draw a self portrait right now while you look in a mirror. And my arms are shaking and I'm just like, this thing is bizarre. Um, and I'm just like praying, dude, like 
uh, just help me like draw a good self portrait because I don't know how to draw myself. And it actually turned out pretty good. I, I tried to get a little bit creative and I even drew the the mirror itself and then like everything in the background to kind of separate myself from the other um, people trying out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then they had a quick spray paint test and a, then they had an acrylic test. So I, I'm not a brush painter. Now I'm a brush painter, but at the time, uh, I like, they tried to get me to paint with acrylics and I totally bombed it and failed. And I was just hoping that that would be something that they actually liked that I couldn't do everything. Cause I was imagining they would want to put me in that situation anyway. So I think it actually worked in my favor that I failed at <laughs> painting with acrylic. Right. Right. Yeah. Now it's like a plot point for the whole show. Yeah. Cause it, it, it ended up happening anyway. They took my spray paint away on one of the episodes. So yeah, it was funny, man. Cool, man. <laughs> so uh, what was it like being on the show? Like, uh, but pretty much everyone listening has not been on a reality TV show before. So yeah, it's, you know what it was i don't know how to describe i don't know how to answer that really like <laughs> I you're just blacked out the entire time <laughs> i can't say that it was fun um because it was such hard work i have a lot more respect now for people who go on those shows like i used to watch those shows and hear people say like oh i'm sacrificing leaving my family and friends and I'd just be like, whatever, man, you're getting catered to and, you know, it's not that hard, but it really is hard. Like I was, I was, um, away from my family for six weeks. And like I said, no cell phone, no computer. And you're kind of locked in a room until you have to go to work. Oh, wow. Then, I figured it was like just that first day that they took your stuff away. They took no, it away the entire time. Yeah, it was, it was locked up for six weeks and, I could only talk to my wife for five minutes a week while they filmed me. Um, and that was really hard. Like I said, I've, I've been married since I was 20 and I've been with her since I was like 16, 17 years old. So for me, it was like, this, that was the first time where I was traveling where I couldn't Skype or couldn't call her stuff like that, you know? So do they tell was, you their reasoning behind things like that? Or they just tell you they, that and that's it. They just tell you that I imagine it's one so that, you're not leaking information, but two, um, so that it's, there's more pressure on you. I mean, if I was producing a show, I would want to make people really tired and really secluded so that I could get the most emotion out of them, you know? So, um, that's what I imagine, you know, why I imagine they do it. Right. Um, and it works, you know, you get, you get pretty tired. Like there's some days you go to work at, you know, 11 in the afternoon and then you're coming home as the sun comes up, you know? Holy so crap. Yeah. It, it's a lot of work, man. And you're not just the physical aspect of the show, but then there's the emotional aspect of like, especially as artists, like I don't care you what any art artist tells you. Every artist is insecure. And part of the reason we do art is because we're getting gratification from people and it's reassuring ourselves, you know? Right. And so for an artist to be in a situation like that where you're being judged on your art in these time constraints and giving tools that aren't your normal median or not even giving like proper tools, um, then it's very emotionally draining, you know? So 
you're having this physical aspect and then this emotional aspect of leave, leaving your family and second guessing yourself that is like really, really strenuous. Um, you know, so I can't say that it's fun, but it, it was awesome, you know, in the sense that it was very challenging. Um, I'm now a brush artist because of the show. Um, you know, I, I ended up winning a challenge where they took my spray paint away and it really, that was the biggest thing I took away from the show was it, it really pushed me into a medium that I normally wouldn't be doing. And I'm able to kind of be pretty successful at that. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. And, and I made friends for life on there, man. So that was great too. Yeah, I bet going through a, it, lots of times when you go through like a tough emotional experience with, with certain people, I mean, yeah. that just bonds you so much. Yeah, definitely. So talk about winning and like what, what the, <laughs> so this happened last year, like the early yeah. portion of last year. So what happened for the rest of last year after you won? Um, like well, what happened to your career? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing was that it, it showed me that I can do this. And so I went full-time art and it's been working pretty well. Now, if you look at any reality show, like, and if you look at where the people are now, I don't know how much really happens after reality TV. Like how many people really get propelled into this crazy career? I don't know. But what it did do for me, like I said, it gave me confidence and it gave me a really good resume builder. So I'm not going to lie to you and say all these people are flocking to me for art. There is a little bit of that happening and I'm grateful for that. But what it has done is, is it's motivated me. I have a great resume and I'm a hard worker. So I'm like going to go out and get, get the jobs, you know? So totally. I think that that's the biggest thing is like, I'm writing a lot, writing a lot of proposals, pitching ideas. And, um, I'm just having fun, man. Like I have had like last year, I had the best year of my life, man. And not just cause I won the show, but because I feel like I'm living within my gifting now and I'm happy doing the work I'm doing and I'm getting to travel the world. I'm getting to bring my wife and my kids along for the ride and give them experiences I never could have given them before if I wasn't being a full-time artist. So I'm, I'm extremely, extremely happy right now. That's fantastic, man. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about the business end of what you do. You just mentioned proposals um, and yeah. pitching and stuff like that. So like specifically, there's a piece that you did here in the city that was on 24th and Valencia. Um, yeah. It's just super dope. And that's on public property from what I remember. I think it's on like a parking garage or something, right? Yeah. That's the one on 24th and Valencia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's actually on a church. Okay. So yeah, it, yeah. do you, it, it, like, who, I, I guess in that case, the church paid for it, right? Um, The city paid for that. Okay, so that, that, that yeah. okay, that's why I was hoping it was a parking garage. So this is exactly the, what I, I guess I was wondering. Yeah. It's like, with something that the city pays for, how the hell does that happen? Like, how do you get the city as a client? Do you pitch, yeah. do they like reach out to several people and then they get um, like price quotes the same way they would reach out to um, like contractors and developers? How does it all work? Well, every, every job is different. So that particular program is something called Street Smarts. Um, and that's a program that is 
funded by the city and they're just trying to get more murals up throughout San Francisco to beautify it. So they, yeah, they contact building owners, um, more so ones that are getting tagged a lot and they, yeah, they just work it out with them and like, Hey, we want to put a mural here and these are our different artists that you can choose from. Um, so that, that's a program in and of itself with like set prices and stuff like that. Are buildings Um, with murals less likely to get tagged? How you said like a building is getting tagged a lot? Definitely. Definitely. And it it, it depends on the artist that paints it and the type of mural. So if it's you, if it's a graffiti writer, uh, it's usually respected by other graffiti writers, unless there's some beef going on in the graffiti world. If it's um, a brush muralist, it's kind of 50, 50, you know, like they're kind of, not viewed as graffiti writers so there's not as much respect you know Mm -hmm. but if obviously if it's just a blank wall that's usually going to get tagged on you know but back back when i was growing up there was like unwritten rules of like you wouldn't tag houses you wouldn't tag churches um or any religious organization um where now it's those rules have kind of not been passed down (laughs) (laughs) so it's a little different now um yeah, so yeah, the city kind of goes in and tries to make that happen for people. That's cool. So then, yeah. how do you end up working with like? How'd you meet them? Like, how how does this all go down for you on the business side? Well, that that particular job, uh, I I know a lot of people at that church, and they had been in, been getting tagged a lot. So I I just said, hey, let me talk to the arts commission and see if we can make something happen for you. Um, but then there's other jobs like. Um, public art grants and stuff like that. And it's so interesting, man. Like some of my best friends are artists and they're also my biggest competition. Um, So we're all at these public grant meetings and we're all there having a good time seeing each other. And all of us in the back of our mind are like, shoot, (laughs) I have a lot of competition right now. You know, so we're, we're always submitting proposals and drafting ideas uh, or grants that are coming out, you know, any, any building over 25,000 square feet that's being built has to give 1% of that to art. So, you know, those grants come out and we're competing for those and stuff like that. Then there's other ideas where I'm constantly brainstorming like public stunt ideas for tech companies or different things like that, where I can bring them proposals at different price points and give them an idea that they can do for their company. You know, um, other times I'm just walking through the city. I'll snap a photo of a wall, draft an idea and see if they want to pay to make it happen. So there, there's a lot of business that goes into art. It's not like people are just flocking to you all the time. Yeah. You know? And it sounds like you have to be really proactive on the artist's yes. side. Yeah. And that's why most artists can't make it in art, you know, which is unfortunate. But if you can, and if you could surround yourself with a good team of people and just be genuine in who you are and network, it's, it should work in your favor, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so let's talk more about, about painting. Um, like what's the process that you use when you're making street art and you're creating a piece? Like, do you, um, draw it all out first on like a sheet of paper, um, just create it in your head. It's different every time. So 
the wall you saw on 24th Street, that was actually a freestyle. So I had nothing drawn and I just went to the wall and started painting. So that was just made up as I was going. That's personally how I like to work because if you already draft an entire full color rendering for an artist, you kind of lose the, the satisfaction of discovery. And you're like, well, I already know what this is gonna look like in the end. And it kind of ruins the, the unveiling of the reveal mm. as an artist. But being, being a businessman also, like you have to be able to do rendering. So that's what most corporate companies and you know, even, even people, individuals getting something for their home, they wanna know what it looked like. They wanna know what it looks like before they purchase it, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so it just depends on the situation. Like usually with clients, I'll come in, do a consultation, um, you know, and I'll kind of talk prices first because I don't want to just work for free. And then, you know, then I'll go do some renderings and stuff like that and actually place that rendering on their wall so they can see what it's going to look like. You know, it's I, I don't like to talk money, but at the same time, I think it's good for people to know know that that it is in the higher range because you know there used to be a really good culture of art in San Francisco like LA has a great culture of art like everybody's in the film industry or in the music in industry or in the visual arts right so because people are in film they understand what goes into art so they're willing to pay what it's worth where in San Francisco right now most of our artists have left the city stuff like that so people don't even know the worth of art. So we're having to train people right now on how much art is worth, you know? So I, I get people that hit me up and they're like, yeah, I got this, this 20 foot wall. I can pay you 600 bucks. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that doesn't even, that doesn't even cover like cost of paint, you know, yeah. or anything like that, you know? So it does get into the thousands of dollars range when you're working on a larger piece as it should because the other thing is like how many you have no idea how many of those deals you're even going to get through the course exactly. of an entire year so if you get paid fifteen thousand dollars well that sounds like a ton but who's to yep. say you're even going to have like five more of those the whole year exactly um, and, you know and 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 what they're not seeing is the hours uh, that we're putting in networking the hours we're putting in designing the hours we're putting in you know uh trying to seek out work you know so that's you're you're exactly right that's not just paying for the mural it's paying for the man hours it takes to actually get to that point to paint a mural and and what's interesting to me too if if there's a you know three-story building that's 40 feet wide a contracted painter that would just paint it a flat color would come in and tell somebody that wall is going to be sixteen to eighteen thousand dollars. People don't bat an eye. They're like, okay, that's what it's going to cost. Now, if they want an art piece on there, and an artist comes in and they're just trying to make ends meet, and they're like, that's going to be ten thousand dollars. People all of a sudden go, what? I'm not paying ten grand for that. That's <laughs> and it's like, so funny, dude. That's so true, and that's so yeah. terrible. So. One of my goals right now is simply to constantly teach people like this is what art is worth and 
and don't look at me different if I give you a price and you're upset about it. You know, like people start to think that we're money hungry and stuff like that. And it's not the case at all. It's just the reality of what it takes to create something like that. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's okay. It's, it's so much good is happening on the other side of that negative negativity. I just try to try to stay focused on that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And I, and I knew that was going to happen. Like I, I knew that coming into this and, you know, so it's, it's okay. Yeah. So what is it that draws you to street art as a medium? That is a great question. And I love talking about that. (laughs) Uh, There's okay. So there's the initial thing that attracted me was just the vividness and the color uh, and the movement, right? That was what attracted me as a kid. Now, I grew up completely immersed in the hip-hop culture, um, and graffiti is a big part of that. So secondary to the, the color choice and, and the vividness was the story. And so seeing what the Bronx went through, even though you know we, we contribute our first graffiti writer to being in Philadelphia, it really blew up in, in New York. And when you look at the story of New York and what was happening in the 70s and how the whole white flight thing happened and all these building owners, owners couldn't get renters into their property, so they all burnt down their buildings for insurance money. And if you look at the photos of the 60s and the 70s and you see these 11, 12, 13-year-old kids living in rubble like a third world country and then out of that, just needing to express themselves and needing to put that energy into something. And you see one of the most revolutionary art forms, um, not just graffiti art, but you see this most revolutionary culture that has affected our world in such a huge way right now, being birthed out of poverty and just like, I need to do something great right now. And then these Little kids, man, created this out of nothing, you know? So that is what attracts me to it, is the story behind it. That is um, beautiful, um, man. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, dude. It's, it's such a great story. And, and then now that I know how to do it, um, what keeps me attracted to it is two things. One is that it, the possibilities are limitless. It is there is never ending possibilities when it comes to ideas and creating. Right. And so I am just so attracted to like, not even just working with other graffiti writers or street artists, but like, how can I take this and work with, um, software engineers or other type of creatives to even break outside of everything that's happening there. Um, But when it comes to my murals in particular, I think the thing I love the most is the process. Um, And when you're painting using spray paint, it's the only median that you can stretch a line from one end of the wall all the way to the other end of the wall in a matter of seconds you know, or you're standing up tall and you need to do an outline that reaches all the way to the bottom. So you're literally doing a lunge 
and then moving your body to the left in a matter of seconds. So it really feels like Tai Chi or something. Mm. And so like, there's so much physical, you know, there's this huge physical aspect going into your art. And that is like one of the biggest things I love. Like there's no other art form that you feel your energy and your body going into it, you know, where I love painting a canvas and I have fun doing it, but you're very limited in your movement and you have to constantly dip your brush and you're only moving your hand, you know? Whereas, man, you give me a spray can and I just go nuts. Like <laughs> I'm running around, climbing ladders, doing lunges, like. Yeah, it just feels so good, man. That's so cool, man. Yeah, it's so much more of a thing than just sitting down yeah. and painting. Yep. Uh, talk to us about getting to travel around the world for your work and kind of what that experience has been like. Oh, man. So two of the things uh, that are my favorite thing in life, besides my faith and my family, is uh, traveling and spray painting, you know, and... I am so happy that I get to do both right now, you know? And so usually what I do is I find an area I want to go and I just make it happen. And I'm contacting every organization in that area. I'm contacting the city, looking up RFQs or grant proposals, talking to building owners, churches, individuals, whatever I need to do to book that initial job. Now, once I book that initial job, it becomes way easier um, because then the next job doesn't have to pay for flights, right? So I kind of look at it almost as a um, someone in music, uh, like how they tour. They might book something in an area and then book stuff around that. Mm -hmm. That's usually what I do as an artist. Um, tell us what it's like to be your own personal brand, like especially since you made the decision that you were just going to go full-time with art and nothing else. Like... Yeah. It's got to be really interesting that you, what you do for a living is like represent yourself, you know, and yeah. you have this name with the camera one and then like that is your website and you're this and yeah. you're that. Like, what is it like, like being a brand? You know, it's really, um, personally, it's very conflicting, like in my soul, because <laughs> if I could just paint for free for people just to bless people, I would. But unfortunately, that's not like the reality of life. And so <clears throat> I try to create my brand about just who I am as an individual. Um, and I want my brand to not be fake. And so that gets so tough, man, because I hate the word marketing and marketing yourself because I'm, it almost sounds manipulative. And, and I don't like that. I don't want to manipulate people into hiring me. I don't want to manipulate people into liking me or liking what we're about or whatever. And so with, you know, and I express that to my manager all the time. And he's like, well, you don't have to like, just be you. And that's the brand, you know? And, right. and so that's what I try to do, man. Like I, I try to be as open and honest as possible, which oftentimes bites me in the butt, you know, like I'll get taken advantage of because I just want to help someone out. And that's why it's so important that I have my manager that could come in and just say, no, we have to charge you on this. And this is what it's going to cost, kind of take it or leave it kind of thing. Because um, at the end of the day, I would just get suckered into everything, you know? Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's conflicting. Uh, so, yeah, I just try to keep it real, keep it authentic, and just be who I am, love people in the process, and just have fun doing it, man. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Cameron, let's uh, wrap this thing up with some advice for yeah. people. So what would be your like top top couple of pieces of advice for aspiring artists? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest thing is work hard whether that's practicing and painting or whether that's networking and building something but like i just feel man there's such a there's just something that's um controlling this this generation right now man and and people in life it's this sense of entitlement and that everything should come easy and man, that's such a lie, you know, like don't look at work as something that is, is bad. Like look at it as an adventure and look at it as something as a place to go so that life doesn't get boring. <laughs> and uh, like, I think if we, if we look at life that way and work that way, it, it, it just creates a desire to want to progress and have fun while we're doing it, you know? So I would I would say that's the biggest thing is just work hard, challenge yourself and but at the same time never take it too seriously, you know? Yeah. Um so that's I think that's a big thing, man. And just I would say just love more, you know? Love love people, respect people, love what you're doing, respect what you're doing. Um and and life life can be good, man. <laughs> Dude Cameron, that was beautiful, wonderful advice right. and uh, it, just everything, man. Thank you so much for uh, for doing the interview and coming on the show. Yeah. It's such a pleasure to get to know you. Hopefully, I'll like, bump into you on the street one day in San Francisco. Yeah, um, dude. I'm sure we will. Yeah, Cameron. Thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much for everything you're doing. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. It's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show. Then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.